Welcome to the Principles of Podcast. My name is Christian Hill and my co-host is Todd Stice. And we're grateful to be joined by Adam Stice, Todd's brother. In this small trio today, we discuss the importance of ward council. Ward council is where the leaders of the church in your local areas meet together and talk about how to best serve and help the people of the ward. Todd Stice and Adam Stice are both bishops. They lead ward councils. And today, we're going to learn some wisdom from both of their experience on how to have productive ward councils. Please enjoy the show. It's always interesting. What is the biggest thing on your mind that you would like, that you would maybe share, not biggest worries but just thoughts recurring thoughts in in this world of really it could be business or, or any church or what just just you can go political we cut out whatever's yeah. inappropriate just leaves more editing for right now I, I think the biggest thing on my mind has been since being able to go to the temple yesterday for the first time in 10 months you know it's been I didn't I didn't realize how long 10 months is a long time no doubt but it didn't feel like a long time you know what I mean but 10 months is a long time and so you walk in the temple and you're like hmm wow like the this weird void that I didn't think was that big all of a sudden is this is a big deal and so since that on my drive home all night I had this weird dream about the temple that I don't even know. Like, couldn't even. It was like had bats in it and stuff. So it was whatever dream, but (laughs) it obviously was occupying, you know, a lot of real estate in my brain this morning. All I was in my studies. I was. It was so today. You know, how do you get those things open? How do we get to? And then yet, even during a pandemic. The Lord has found a way, not found a way like it was hard, but found a way to allow it to still be open for the most part during this pandemic. I mean, a few months of nothing, right? But for the most part, this, you know, we've had some access to the temple. And it's just interesting that it's the one, you know, live ordinances being allowed. So an endowment. I think that's very godlike. I think that's how he does his work is through ones. And so you also have a sense of gratitude that it is at least open for the one, even though I can't go. You know, I've done done my work. So good things and then bad things. For me, I need more than once every 10 months. In regards to the temple, because I was able to go recently too with a ceiling. And the familiarity that you feel when you walk in is just like there's all of a sudden this dew of peace just kind of settles over like, ah, this is what it feels like to be almost, a, it's like you're nerved all the time and then you get in there and it's like this settling of, oh, I don't have to be nerved for whatever duration this will last. But then you think about, I think it's been kind of a cool thing to to have be without 
Because I think when it does open up, I think you'll see a table work that's the world's never really seen. I think people are pent up, they're ready to go, and when it when it opens up, people are just the appreciation level, the desire to be back, I think we'll put it in a situation to where I think it'll be pretty incredible. Kind of like fasting, you know? How much you eat when you're done fasting? Mm -hmm. Just building up that that hunger. What uh, was cool though is talking with the temple president afterwards, and I think I mentioned this to you earlier. But I was just wanting to say thank you, you know, like not that he was doing something extra. It was just a part of the routine. It wasn't. But and I just mentioned, man, that was. Eye-opening to me how much I missed the temple. I thought I was just fine. I I could have waited. You know, I didn't feel like I was dying without it. I knew I missed it, but wow, being here, this was eye-opening. I really, really needed this. And he said, "Yeah, I, I don't disagree for sure with that. That the saints need to go to the temple." But he said, "I think more than that. More importantly." The world needs saints who go to the temple. And that was just an interesting perspective, you know, to see, like you see the world where it's at today and just a little bit of chaos here and there, fires and all sorts of spiritual unrest. And he's probably true. He's probably right in a lot of ways. Is it more for the world or is it more for the saints? I think there's been periods of time throughout all church history where there's not been a temple accessible to the saints of the church. You know, even the early saints, you know, Nauvoo, they had to abandon Nauvoo Temple and hit the road and go west. And when was the next time they were going to see a temple? Unknown. For many of them, never again. And when Brigham Young made that call, it's time to go. We, you know, we got to get out of here. Let's make a run for it. The saints did not leave Nauvoo temple doors until all had received the blessings of the temple, the covenants. And so they went through the night. I think that's inspiring. And I think um, it proves that the covenants we make in the temple matter hugely. You know, it's a big deal. That's interesting. Like when you're talking about how the world needs saints that go to the temple, the first thing that came to my mind was how right now the world is so, at least the nation is so polarized, right? And when I think about the saints, someone has to be first to try and spread or bridge the gap, you know? And when I think about the temple, it's, it's heaven connecting with earth, right? There's this, there's these people that are going and serving the other side that, is really could be considered imaginary. You know, you don't really see it, but you get all the benefits from it. And you, you don't really know if what you're doing is helping the other side, right? But, but it's developing a culture where coming out of the temple, you want good for everyone, even if you don't see it. Or if it, even if you don't agree with it. Yeah. I think that's interesting. The temple as a bridge between God and the world, Jesus Christ being a bridge. You know, he is all about 
that bridging, even in a spiritual sense, the bridge between the sinner and the righteous. You know, he fills that guy. He is the bridge to that, the only way to, to, to that's an interesting, I like that kind of symbolism of, of bridging and the temple and saints. How can we be bridges for people in a polarized world, bringing people together? That's a really cool thought, I think. Well, I mean, the, loving the person, not the sin. Loving the person, not the... Loving the sinner, not the sin. Yeah. Yeah. But loving, you know, individuals because they're not, not their, you're not loving their politics. You're not, doesn't have to be agreeable to what actions are done. There's a dis, I mean, you can still have a, a massive common ground of just humanity. Like brother and sisters kind of coming in here, you know, we wait till they get in the temple and then we're doing all this work. Well, all of us are going to die. And I guess at some point in time, members are not, there's going to be, t- you know what I mean? So it's all the same work. It's all the same. God sees no difference between missionary work here, the temple work and missionary work there. It's all just, all of his children just working to help each other, to bring all that together. That perspective is pretty powerful in the minds of saints to go out into the world and stand up for what's true and right and good without fighting more like Gandhi. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Like when I think about the world, it's just like, I'm all pro Trump for sure. You know, but at the same time, what I've, I read elder Oaks talk last week at the same time, I feel like even though I agree so much with, who he is and his politics and his policies and everything about him. And just like, man, he's just a good leader. It almost like blinds me to be able to see any good in anyone that doesn't follow him, you know, which is not right, obviously. So then when I think about temple going is like, so I worked in the temple for like a year and a half or something that shut down. But when I was working in there, even when I wasn't doing the ordinances, my perspective was just eternal, you know, the whole time you're there. So then, so then you see the world so much differently than even, even if you're like, you're so into this one side, like the temple just almost just takes the blinders off to be able to see all truth, even if it's not the truth you want to hear. Right. But, but in my opinion, I miss the temple because of that, because I, I'd be able to see, you know, like how all people have good. And if I couldn't see that, then why even waste my time trying to help any of those people that don't agree with me or agree with something that I believe in a little bit, you know? Right. Yeah. I think I even, well, in President Nelson's recent talk that he had on you know, it, the doctrine is clear that God is not a respecter of, you know, race. And I mean, it's that's the temple perspective, you know, that allows you to see our brothers and sisters. And there's symbolism all over the temple with that. You know, everyone's dressed in white and 
you couldn't tell an apostle from just a random person off the street if you wanted to, unless you knew their face. There's no, it, we're all equal, you know, and all in it together. Yeah. And then in the, and then in, obviously in these different ordinances, I'm sure you know what I'm talking about, but unless it's changed, <laughs> is at the moment where they say, um, if any of you in this circle have negative feelings for each other, please withdraw, right? Like to me, like that just has so much significance. Yeah. That's my favorite part of the temple. I think about that more than any other aspect of the temple is that, that piece there, because I think, I think some of us will kick ourselves out of certain, maybe we lived a life that was like, it was good as good as anyone, you know, you're just trying, you're, you're striving, right? And then you get to this point and you're like, why is he here? Whoa, what's going on? He, he hurt, he hurt. And it forcing us into a box to where like, there's no justice here. And so therefore we lose sight of our own mercy. It's like, really what it is is saying we're all at fault here. There's uh, the mindset is mercy is for all of us. And if I bask in mercy of my shortcomings, then certainly I, I want that for you as well. Therefore I must extend, like I would feel the moved to extend mercy to others. And you know, that that's ultimately what I always have felt like that we'll get to, you know, heaven maybe if we're, we keep going and we'll say, interesting. Okay. That's really interesting, you know? And, um, there was a individual I ran across into the temple once, um, who had some really rough patches way early on years prior and never in a million years did I think I'd see the individual in the temple. When I saw his face, my knee jerk was like, whoa. But then the spirit just just entered my heart and just like, wow, how amazing. Like, you know, this is so cool that we're in the temple. But, you know, that could be a challenge for some. Maybe some of us who have been really offended, are we going to be okay to be in the circle of that situation in heaven with those individuals or is, or do we want mercy for ourselves and justice for everybody else? You know, that concept. So how does, how does all this dovetail into ward council? So when you were talking about that, like the true order of prayer, right? Where there should be no contention and no negative feelings. Like, the first thought that came to my mind was like, man, that should be the true order of life. Like of all relationships between the children of God. So then a good segue to word counsel would be, it's the true order of counsel. Like there, there can't be negative feelings or else we get blinded by that. Right. And we can't really see really what it is. Heavenly father wants to happen because, because maybe like if I had negative feelings towards you, and you came up with an idea, the very first thing that's going to come to my mind, even if it was an amazing idea and I had the same thought as, oh, you came up with that idea, I don't think it's right. No, same as politics right now, right? But the true order of counsel should have no contention. Yeah. Yeah. 
allowing the spirit to really be the confirmation of any good idea. Not obviously we're going to use our own minds to kind of think things through and add input and whatnot. But at at some point you have a great idea out there and also in the presiding officer of the meetings, like here's the decision, what way we need to go. Can we have firm ideas loosely held enough to where we feel the spirit and say, I feel the keys work at work here. And even if I don't, I just know in my heart, I follow keys and I'm in harmony with that. Like I know that's harmony, you know, that's reaffirming, you know, I agree. I, I don't, I don't think um, it should be confused though. Contention with, um, in insightful and uh, vigorous discussion. And I think what, you know, Christian's referring to is spot on, like, you know, loving those in the council and knowing that everyone's there for a reason. I think that the council starts with trusting in that the Lord has called these individuals. As soon as you start uh, questioning that piece, I mean, that is the foundational idea is that who established this council? It was none of us. We were, we were all called. It's not like can you, you know, voluntarily have accepted this invitation to work in this capacity at this time. And so everyone then matters. If God is the one who put that person there in that seat as the primary president, for example, should she not be heard? Right. So then if everybody has that perspective, that the calling has not been from man, but from God, councils become easier. In my eyes, it's still one of the most complicated councils (laughs) in the church um, because, you, you know, the imperfect nature of man. But that's a great starting point. And I in when I've called individuals to a you know, presidency positions within any of the wards that I've been in. I've always started with the extension of the calling is we, the Lord, it's always the Lord has extended the call for you to serve on the ward council and you will be representing the Sunday school or the primary or the Relief Society. So the call extension is for primarily to the ward council. That is the call. And you're representing this organization that you'll be overseeing as well. The mindset behind that changes everything. Because now they come to the ward council, and this isn't just an added duty or responsibility that was a part of the long laundry list that they get of what they have, you know, the handbook. It is the call. This is the call. The organization is what I represent in that, and that is come secondary to, you know, the council. But unifying it and having everyone's voice heard is, I just want to reiterate the complexity of that. Like, it's e- so easy to say, but harder to do. That's interesting. So my mission president, Elder Wong, um, he was a general authority, and then he came and was our mission president and he talked about like for some reason council was like his big thing and he did this he did this demonstration where he brought out um he was also from hong kong so chinese perspective is way different 
they, they really like to teach in symbolism, right? And so he brings out this cube and he writes um, math problems on each side of the cube. I think the, he had three different kinds. One was really complex. One was super simple. He had, it was all different colored, colors and shades on this cube. And then he had a number on each side. And then he brings it out and he puts it right on this table. And then he had um, four missionaries come and stand around it on each side of that cube. And the whole demonstration was figure out what's, what it says on the bottom, right? Which you can't see. And the only way they, they could do it was each individual had to participate and tell us what's on your side, as well as you had, it was so interesting how it naturally kind of worked that out of those four missionaries, one of them had to take charge. One of them had to coordinate and direct, conduct what was going on. And then everyone else kind of follow suit and they, they said what was on their side and they all said their opinion of like, okay, maybe it works together this way or this way or this way. But the only way they can come up with the solution was if they were all counseling together on figuring out this problem. And nine times out of 10, they all got the right answer, right? And so then, so then he brought out the next cube and the next cube and it always worked. The same exact pattern where one person had to take the lead and every single person had to put their input. And so then his whole demonstration was, was even if your number, like one side said 16, the other side said one, even if your value is the least in the room, we would have never gotten the right answer if you never said anything. I might steal that. You just gave me an awesome nugget, especially for, uh, that applies, well, all councils, right? We're speaking word council now, but every presidency is a council. So I think that kind of activity would be amazing for like a deacon's quorum presidency, you know? Yeah. Or teacher's quorum presidency or any of the class presidencies where they can see that the secretary has value, you know, mm -hmm. and they're not just there to take notes. And yeah, that's pretty awesome. Yeah. It's really interesting. Something speaking, that, go ahead. Speaking just to the value of mentors, <laughs> just always want to highlight that when we're talking about the beauty of having people in our lives and observing and learning and growing and sharing how important that is to everyone's success here. Like no one's made successful without that. Um, it's just no such thing. You know, even the Savior was taught line upon line by grace and heaven taught him, Joseph Smith, think about all where he came from and what he ended up accomplishing with a lot of trips and mistakes along the way, but he was able to establish the church, you know, like some crazy things have happened, but never alone, always the guiding hand of heaven and usually with lots of people to support and make things go. So no matter where anybody's at that maybe ever listen to this, it's just start asking questions and figuring things out. You know, there's someone has something valuable like you just bringing that up. You know, you have, that was an experience that you got from a mentor and passing it on. And all of a sudden that his influence now goes, extends far beyond Christian because you have two in the room that are going to probably yeah, it's a, do something very similar. It's a very good. And that's going to then, so Elder Wong's influence continues to grow and expand. And we all give homage to anybody that we've ever learned from. So it's like the greatest respect we could ever do is learn 
and pass it forward. Make the wake bigger, you know? Mm-hmm. And so it's we, we're far more influential than we realize we are. And so stuff like this, you know, just talking in a mic, just sharing. I don't know where it'll go, but we're creating space and opportunity for Elder Wong to have a better and stronger influence or President Woods or President Nelson, uh, not Nelson, Nelson, Nelson. Mm-hmm. you know, all these experiences or all the bishops that you served under or, or, or whatever. That's the cool part. It's yeah. never us. So one of the things with the ward council that I've experienced a lot, not to anyone's fault, this is never a conversation to downplay anybody, but seems to be the natural, what I'm trying to resist more than anything is the numbness of routine, you know, um, just kind of like any good training, you, you train it enough and all of a sudden you, you lose the, the umph in the message. You know, something goes really well. You teach this one lesson and it just is so powerful. And you think you can replicate it. And then it's somehow going to have the exact same power as it did in that revelatory moment when you shared it. And you realize, like, again, going back to the individuals, that message could possibly be for that exact moment in time with those exact individuals in the room. And... And so when you get into ward councils or anything, the people who run the ward councils, they're like shotgunning meetings and interviews, right? Like boom, 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 boom. And so to to stay really fresh and ahead of everything happening all the time is really hard because instinctively as human beings, we want routine so that we have the energy to do other things. And so the more patterns we can establish in our lives, the easier life is. It's very much an energy preservation survival skill. So um, so when we get into ward council and we have the same agenda that's rolling around and people have the same responses rolling around, and all of a sudden you get into these. So over all the years that you've been running ward council, you know, that's where it starts is the person who's presiding. How have you tried to break that up? And how many times has your ward council changed or evolved? I mean, what's, you know, because then you have to have the routine of switching it up all the time, which can be a good and it could be a really bad thing. It has changed so many. And like the people in the ward council, the presidencies, have demanded change too with that not that they've said that but just the the group so i've never tried to put myself in a box with the group so i let the group kind of decide what the you know i i'm a key holder a participant and occasionally make decisions but most of the time those ideas come from members in the ward council what I have found really successful is simplifying agendas. Um, when you're trying to talk about too many discussion points, things are hard to manage. They're hard to it becomes overwhelming. You're always trying to get to the next item. It just doesn't work well. So 
I've played around with different agendas and I think an agenda, it's kind of cliche and everybody, you know, says the power of agendas and it's cause it's true. They matter. And if you can give your ward council, those agendas ahead of the, ahead of time. So right now we'll send it out like on a Thursday night and then I'll send a text out on a Saturday as a, another reminder. So there's two reminders about what's going to be discussed on that for that ward council. And that I think has helped a little bit, you know, cause when people come prepared and they've been pondering it, the value of insights is just significantly higher. It's pretty incredible. So agendas matter. You have to be prepared. I think, um, lately we've been switching up who facilitates the ward council and that's been really awesome because if you have to facilitate a meeting, you're invested because it kind of reflects on you a little bit. And so now that we're having a relief society president facilitate it, and it's, her, it's not her meeting, but kind of right. Like she's responsible to make sure it goes well and is flowing. All of a sudden she's coming like all in ready to work her magic. She wants to do well at it. And then we rotate um, I've tried to remove myself after learning this, you know, a hard way. I, I always felt like participating and facilitating was important to let them know that I was in it too. But I realized that people don't really care about that. That was just my impression of the situation and that it doesn't really matter to them. So as I've been able to let go of that, and so I rarely facilitate a ward council. And that's been so helpful for me to just be able to listen. I'm not worried about the agenda and the next items and got to get A through Z over here. I'm just able to like sincerely pay attention and try and, and add. Now, now I'm also trying to add to the meeting value and insights and perspective just like everybody else is. And it's been better for me to have that. I also feel like questions, you have to have the right questions to get the conversation right. You know, so most, most of the ward councils start with, you know, a question and it could be as simple as, you know, who do we need to talk about today? starting with the who's not the what's you know we get to the what's later but if you start with who's and you mention a family or two all of a sudden the spirits boom and everything just goes better you know when you get to the calendaring section of it it's just better because you've everyone is fulfilled and feels better when at least you've talked about a couple families that are in need those would just be a couple of ideas so worst worst case scenario is you talk about the individuals you don't end up with enough time to talk about the programs like hey just shoot an email hey just text me but the other way around you get done and now you don't have enough time for the people you can't just facilitate that conversation <laughs> and so then it just rushed. doesn't happen yeah or or rushed you're just trying to right. check a box at yeah that point. and so I would 100% agree with that it's really just comes down to people. If you do one, if you talk about one person in a productive way, and we had that conversation this last Sunday where 
you know, it is appropriate to talk about people when they're not in the room, but in this way. It's, if it's dignified and respectful and very helpful to the family or individual, I sure as heck would love for like a team of eight people or 10 people to be in a room prayerfully seeking revelation to be helpful to me and my family, you know? I mean, I think everyone would appreciate that kind of support and help and and uh, investment into me and my success. It's when it's not respectfully done, when it's shared inappropriately, when, you know, which is part of the respect piece, I think is when it can go completely opposite. But, but again, that's the Lord's work is us, not, not the programs of the church or the calendar items or any of that stuff. So I think it's a huge challenge because what burdens us, what are we doing today for mutual? What like you know that that's a huge burden. Not saying that the people aren't a burden, but oh my gosh, as a as as a leader, you're always just worried about like okay, got got a family owned evening going. We got you know, is someone going to be there for that class that's happening on Thursday night? But at the end of the day, it's not about that. <laughs> it's about the people that show up and how are we getting them there? You know. And we discussed that with like, cause we just have a new ward council with the, the split of, with the creation of the new Fruitland. And so laying the groundwork, the ground rules, you know, is important. And it sets the stage to be able to not just in a general way, talk about names with respect and dignity, never divulging things that would be inappropriate. And that's really the, my responsibility in that, right? Because yeah. most others, minus elders quorum and relief society might know a few more details. But to say, because it's not helpful at all if we go into that meeting and I'm saying such and such family's struggling and I just say struggling. Who, who am I helping? I'm not helping the family because no one knows. What does that mean? Everyone's interpreting that differently and it becomes not, it's not the, it's not good because you're going to get a lot of misdirection. You're going to get people thinking they're being helpful because they're struggling and it's not what they need. And so to funnel your elders quorum president and your relief society president with more detail being respectful and not divulging, you know, sins, of course, and things like that, that need to be confidential matters. And is that's the only way you can really get insights that you need. That's how you find answers. Cause then when they know the details that, um, this family is, he's struggling with employment. He has no education. He hasn't got, you know, he barely graduated high school um, he has not any other formal education beyond that. He has worked at this place, this place, and this place. Right now you're giving them something to really know what I can be helpful with. And hopefully there's someone there who maybe they know how, you know, a self-reliance class that can be helpful. And, you know, there's then the floodgates are open to more ideas. So that first ward council, it was most half of that ward council was all about confidentiality. How we need to be able to say names and speak to real problems without the worry that it goes beyond us. And so 
Instead of just saying confidentiality, I spoke to what that means. Does that mean your wives, husbands, children? Like, let's, let's get real here and when is it appropriate and not? And then there was questions that came from that. And it was a really good conversation. And now that the groundwork's laid for that specific piece, now I'm not afraid when we're in that meeting to be able to give people some better insights. So laying the groundwork, I think, is really important. So when you say laying the groundwork, like you, you mentioned confidentiality, confidentiality as well as openness. What are some other fundamental things that need to be laid in order to have an effective ward council? The expectation that you are to speak and to share and that God expects it. So what does that mean? So we talk about that. Like what in ward councils, tell me about the safety of ideas and, you know, best ideas when it's a saying that we say here are no, a whole bunch, but we don't attack people. We attack ideas in an order to find the answer, the one idea that might help this family the best. So we talk a lot about um, in what manner do we do that is, you know, we don't raise our hands and all of that kind of stuff. You don't wait for your turn either. Right. So it, it's a flowing thing that needs to happen. And you just talk about what are you open to say and not say and where, you know, um, so ideas being able to express, I think is another piece that we really talk about. Then we discuss, you know, the order of, of operations. So this is all ward councils. We'll start with this and we'll, then we'll go here and then we'll end with this, you know, so they know the pattern, they know what to expect. Um, and then we, we you know, we discuss a lot about, um, their, their organizational calling. And so when they're hearing primary president, when you hear this family struggling with employment, now we need, what might that be for the children? So you're bringing your ideas, but then you're also representing your organization. And so are there children needs there? We're, we're hope we're expecting you to bring that to light and God will help you with that for us. I think that, you know, those are just some of the things that come to mind when we lay the groundwork. Interesting. What I think is interesting is you talking about how, and it's all starting from how they're called. The perspective is different than you're not the Sunday school president and now you're serving on ward council. It's you're called to ward council serving and representing the Sunday school or whatever, right? Because then in that situation, what I think is interesting is that, like for you've been talking a lot about this, you want the information coming from bottom up. Right. And so they have that expectation that there's, they're called to the ward council, but if they're serving in the, you know, primary and we're talking about a family that's struggling, their job and role is to figure out the other people that are being represented in their stewardship that you need to come and speak on behalf of them to figure out how you can best serve them. And you shouldn't expect all the other leadership to come to you and say, okay, now you're the Sunday school president, you're the primary president, this and this and this needs to happen. It should be the other way around. Ownership, giving them ownership of, uh, like I said, God has called them, not me, not anyone else. And there's expectation when God has a work for you to do. It's not uh, hoping that you get it right he'll make things happen. So with or without me, I mean, my job is to be worthy and to be able to listen to the spirit. 
but the Lord qualifies his people a hundred percent. So if you're not good at primary type of situations or you don't know all the kids, which is what my primary president has the challenge. She's been brought into a whole new and COVID don't know any of the kids. And so we spend a lot of time in our one-on-one our PPIs about how does God qualify his people. So you're building confidence and that's kind of the back end work that a bishop would do for his ward council, not only praying for him by name, but you're bringing them in individually and you're building their confidence, letting them know that they were called of God and what they will do will make a big difference, first of all, but God's going to expand and enhance everything that you think you can do to something so much more. Be confident in that. Let's talk about that process. What are your skills? How will God make that even better? You know, and and then they're confidently coming in and ready to speak because they feel God's love and help just changes things. Yeah, I think they're just culturally speaking, through my experience, though, you get called and and you they're you're told ah, Revelation's yours, buddy. Just Whatever comes to you, comes to you, right? And then there's this real struggle. And eventually they get through the calling and everything's fine. And I don't think you're wrecking God's kingdom when you're sincerely making good efforts. But then you get released and you're like, gosh, I wish I could have done more. And then the next person that follows you just, it's like ground zero every time. There's not really a a, a baton being passed in a race. It's a all right, well, we're done with that race. Now we're setting up for a new race and it's the same track, <laughs> the same distance, you know. So I think mentorship, like what you were saying, the one-on-one mentorships of how to be effective in that, but not in a way of here's how it needs to be done. There are pieces of that, but having the dialogue and the support to help them as an example, you know, we're as an elders quorum, we're doing addiction recovery. We're doing all these different pieces A new elders quorum present gets called and you're like, well, whatever you see fit, let's do it. So we stop doing that and we start doing a different program when I think there's pieces like, no, here's where we're at. This is why we're at where we're at. Now, if there's iterative changes you want to make as we go forward, you're let's go for that. But we're not, it's a baton. We're building the kingdom. We're building momentum. We need to do these things. So there is a lot of one-on-one that I think you need to have that I don't think is normal. I don't think that's a normal process in the church. And the other reason why I think that that's important is that your leaders aren't alone. Even though they have a presidency, the leaders are never alone. And... um building the confidence so that when they get released, it's a good experience. Like I grew, I saw the Lord work through me. Keys are real. And the church is true. And I can't wait for the next venture that the Lord throws me into what, whatever it may be. Cause I know it happens through revelation instead of thank goodness I'm burned out. I hope they give me a huge break so I never get another calling. And mm-hmm. that's typical. You know, we they go until they're burned out and they're just fried out <laughs> and you have to replace them. 
when it, it could be the difference would be you're not alone and you're being helped by someone who's mentoring you and guiding you to that revelatory experiences that that person can have and the things that they can change. Yeah. Right? Yeah. I heard this analogy. Um, I can't remember what her name is, but it basically the analogy is, is in leadership. Um, you have the highway, right? The highway is going at constant speed. And then you're, then you're brand new into the environment and you're trying to get on the on-ramp and you have to get up to speed in order to mesh, you know, well. But if you never get up to speed, then you're going to be hitting the bumper, the whatever you call it, washboard thing on the side of the road and hoping that someone moves over for you or whatever. But, but that's where those mentors would come in and, and that good, that good uh, launch board where they can just come in and merge really nice and, and they don't have to have to stall traffic. They don't have to get people to move over in order to accommodate their needs. Like they just come in there and they know exactly where they're going and they're up to speed. And then when the time comes, they're up to speed and they get off, get off the exit without having to slow down, you know, because they just know how to drive. Right. And then the next person comes in, they're up to speed and can merge right into to the program and just keep going down the road. Exactly. And they feel confidence in that, like, oh, I belong because I'm able to do what everyone else is doing on the highway contribute and get, get where I need to go. I think the other cultural thing that's hard to overcome is the bottom up. Yeah. And, and I think it starts with, and the church has been trying so hard to preach this to where, what role does the elders quorum president really society president really have in the church? And when they say they need to be, you know, working through marriages and finances and all this stuff. Well, historically speaking, the, you're going to be open and honest and very vulnerable to the bishop because he'll say no one, nothing to no one else. <laughs> and we've kind of kept that kind of true to the, <laughs> to the work where when really, if we can have the bishop pull himself out enough to create enough space for the programs to work within the church, giving the the assignment or the message to the elders quorum president, like, I'm not going to overstep you. I want you to work. And then ward council is designed for that information to flow up. Yep. So where I'm not finding out now, occasionally I will inherently, but what about the rest of the ward? How are they doing? What's the health of the organization? If I had a dashboard that told me whether I need to change oil here, or add, add air to my what tire, you know, all these different things to keep everyone going, there's no way on the planet the bishopric could ever do that. There's no way on the planet the elders quorum could do that. Mm-hmm. But with everyone in their role in the ward council, very much, and so every ward council is basically the, should be the dashboard of what needs what and here's the suggestion of what I think needs to happen and then so the key holder then can sit there and go awesome you guys are doing great I agree you guys have all the solutions you need or it could be like okay on this particular one I'm going to put my efforts there because it's something that I need to to work on right yeah when I when I think about my experience coming into ward council I think it's because of previous experiences that I was just really confident that I felt like my voice 
like what I was talking about, like I, I was credible. Like I felt like I had the information not to like do, not to like tell the key holder what he should do. Right. But that I felt like confident in who I was representing and that's what they needed. Right. And, and I feel like, at least in my experience that, that the people that come in and they, they seem hesitant or in other words, quiet, they don't share is because of inadequacy. They feel like they aren't meant to be there. And so when I was thinking about this and thinking about, cause we were really focused on counseling this last week and in this right here, I was going through all these general conference talks and I came across one by Boyd K Packer. And so I'll, re- I'll read just an experience that he talks about, but I'm sure it's crossed your mind. Have you ever <laughs> wondered what apostles mean when they say like, I witness Jesus Christ as a savior. Like, I'm sure it's crossed your mind where you're like, does that mean that they've seen him? You know, like, is he like something special? Like, cause they're a special witness. Right. And so some people might think that's like some kind of a unusual thing. Yeah. You know, so this is what Boyd K Packer says about it's uh, October t- 2007, the week and simple of the church. He says for a long time, something else puzzled me 46 years ago. I was, I was 37, a 37 year old seminary supervisor. My church calling was at an, as an assistant teacher in the class in the Linden ward. To my surprise, I was called to meet with President David o-, o. McKay. He took both my hands in his in his and called me to be a general authority, an assistant to the Quorum of the Twelve. Crazy. A few days later, I came to Salt Lake City to meet with the First Presidency to be set apart as one of the general authorities at the church. This was the first time I had been, I had met with the First Presidency, David O. McKay, his counselors, President Hubie Brown, and President Henry D. Moyle. President McKay explained that one of the responsibilities of an assistant to the Twelve was to stand with the Quorum of the Twelve Apostles as a special witness and to bear testimony that Jesus is the Christ. What he said next overwhelmed me, quote, Before we proceed to set you apart, I ask you to bear your testimony to us. We want to know if you have that witness, unquote. I did the best I could. I bore my testimony the same as I might have in a fast and testimony meeting in my ward. To my surprise, the brethren of the presidency seemed pleased and proceeded to confer the office upon me. That puzzled me greatly, for I had supposed that someone called of such an office would have an unusually different and greatly enlarged testimony and, and spiritual power. It puzzled me for a long time until finally I could see that I already had what was required, an abiding testimony in my heart of the restoration of the fullness of the gospel through the prophet Joseph Smith, that we have a heavenly father and that Jesus Christ is our redeemer. I may not have known all about it, but I did have a testimony and I was willing to learn. And he said that was all that was required for such a mighty, seemingly mighty calling, you know, where you would feel anyone would feel ridiculously inadequate to be there, right? (laughs) Seminary teacher to assistant to the 12. Yeah. Before you said that, when you were talking about, you know, just my prior experiences, I knew that I have a voice and it needs to, you know, it's your obligation to share your voice. How much of that's from your mission president? Um, a lot. (laughs) (laughs) And I think it goes to show like, as leaders in the church wherever you stand, you have to, that's, that's built. That's not just there. Like going back to what Adam was saying, like you have to say, what does this mean? And what is it? And those one-on-ones, you have to encourage it and then build it up because that's exactly where I got 
my strong voice because I was a quiet, I never raised my hand in class in school. Same. I hated attention. I still do in a lot of settings, but when I'm in a church meeting, I'm, it's completely opposite for me. It's like, I need to share what it's on my mind. Whatever's on my mind, I'm going to share it and, and move forward. But that came from someone demonstrating, showing me, mentoring me in that way. And so I think that's an important piece to a council is, is doing that. And that, and then how powerful it is that like, if you can have a general authority call and do all that they do and all the revelation and it's all the foundation of that, it's just the testimonies we hear every month, you know, all of a sudden things become more doable. Like, okay. We can definitely move this program forward or we can definitely make an impact in the ward because we know the source of what we're doing and that's all we need is just that abiding faith. I think what's cool too is if you invest that time, you know, as you do those one-on-ones, it's interesting you watch the ward council kind of change because they they come into that meeting with a personal relationship with the key holder um, somebody, it's the office, right? I mean, it's not the person, but I mean, the, the bishop is, you know, we all have our, our bishops in our minds that, you know, and you're still bishop over each one of them. And we forget about that sometimes, you know, that they have the inadequacies. They have, like, they're powerful if you look at them compared to maybe the general ward membership. You know, like my elders quorum president right now, you know, probably one of the top giants in my life. And I bet there's a hundred plus people who could say that easily, you know, stake president. He's been bishop. He was my bishop. Right. So this is weird. So, but I'm his bishop now. And that is a weird thing, but he needs me or the office of a bishop and I owe him that you know so that helps me want to be better and prepare more when I do a PPI with him but you better believe that when we do a PPI I am just as interested as inspiring him to do this call as anyone else because I just have I feel like I've learned over this time that people care about what the bishop's thinking. And and even though I think it's kind of ridiculous, you and I talk about this all the time. Mm -hmm. Like, oh, they want to hear from, it's like, don't have anything too special to say. Let me just quote the prophet. Yeah, right? Like you've, (laughs) and so you see where our own inadequacies can, can really be detrimental to this process. Trust in your office. Trust in the blessing that you receive and the keys that were given. Trust in God. Go and do. And watch God magnify everything you do, which is the cool part, you know. There's lo- loads of times I'll be done with the meeting and be like, oh, I kind of messed that one up. Like, lots. And I'll even walk out sort of sheepishly and quick. I'll kind of just get out of there, right? Like, And then I'll get a text later and that was exactly what I needed, Bishop. Thank you. The Spirit's got just a crazy way of being able to speak to people no matter what you say, and they hear things that you might not have said 
but that's the power. And so do you trust that? I think that's the question you should ask all your ward council members. Do you trust that what you will do, the Lord will magnify? Do you trust that what you say will speak to the hearts of those you serve? And, and if you can get them to be confident and say yes to that, now you can get some real work done. Mm -hmm. I think that's pretty powerful. It really, I think that building the relationships to um, information is inspiration and it, it just allows it to just be magnified and magnified. And I think it's really kind of what's hard about a YSA situation or the situation you're currently in with a split. And like, you know, because usually when you're called to be a bishop, in most cases, you know all the families in the ward. Maybe you don't know everything about them and you're going to learn a lot more, but you you kind of generally know what yeah, you got. Yeah. Um, now you don't have the case. Hilarious. We were, this last Sunday, um, he was setting apart teachers, the teacher's quorum and um, Ashton's uh, secretary. So I'm in there and, you know, watching Adam at work and he, and he doesn't have a counselor in there. So he's having to set each one of the members of the teacher's quorum apart. So he does the president and does the first counselor and then he gets to the second counselor and he's like, so what's your name? You know, what's your full name? And he's like, um, Aiden. Aiden. Hutala. Hutala. But he didn't know how to say the last name because a brand new member of the, his ward. Well, they're new to and the they area said, too. But. And so brother Hutala's like, Hutala, he's like, oh, I'm glad you said it because I don't know if I would have got that right, right? And I'm like, oh, so now I'm connected immediately because we have two Hutalas in our ward. <laughs> so he, he sets him apart and then we start having a dialogue and they're like, so I mentioned Haley and Alex and they're like, oh, so how do you know them? I'm like, why say? And they find out that I'm the bishop of the YSA or they ask directly and like, oh, so your brother's like our bishop. Well, Adam's standing right next to me, so they don't know him. And so <laughs> I'm, I'm like, like, that's me. <laughs> and they're like, oh. <laughs> but um, anyway, the reason why I'm getting to that is that can, as a human being, be a distraction to trusting the Lord is because you don't feel, because you, you're like, information is inspiration. Well, when you have a transition all the time, that doesn't mean you don't can't have inspiration and it doesn't mean you can't have revelation, even though you don't know their name. Like, inst you know, instead of having the natural man say, Oh my gosh, you don't know anybody and start going down that train of doubt <laughs> instead be like, Hey man, this is like even a greater space to have more revelatory experience. Even though I don't know that individual's name, I know he needs me and I know what I can say can make a difference or an impact instead of, kind of shirking away from the fact that you don't know anybody in the room, you know? I think maybe sometimes information equals inspiration. Maybe sometimes that's more for us. It helps us be more confident in the inspiration right. that we receive. God does not need that, you know? And I think that's the point that you're exactly. saying is when you have a ward that is constantly changing, there is a lack of information. Does that impede God? Does that impede us, right? Yeah, because now I'm trying to, I don't even, are they active temple rec? Do they have it right? Like there's so many really important pieces of information, but that really is only a sign of my 
unsurety with the spirit. Well, it forces us inward because mm-hmm. now it's a, it's about my inadequacy. It's about me then. Immediately it puts me, all of a sudden this situation's about me not knowing who they are as opposed to about them and knowing the Lord knows all. I mean, so how quickly we can get a, into a need to be seen as box, referring to the Arbinger work, because I need to be seen as someone who's in, in the know or knows who people are. I have a real hard time with names. So in the why I say it's like, it's like death mm-hmm. and you're laughing because you know exactly. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, and I have anyway, so it's really, really difficult. And as a counselors are always like, Hey, who's the individual blah, 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 over there? And you know, we're all kind of scrambling because we've met them, but I can't retain 150 people. And then 40 of them are transitioning. So I got a new 40 and an old 40. And anyway, or they're ward hopping. So you only see them once a month. <laughs> anyway, it's very, very difficult. But that becomes then about me not knowing, then about really what I have access to, which is all of God's knowledge that is needed to do my calling and make sure I'm finding the one that needs me right now and what I could do. So it's just a reminder to me as I was, that's mostly why I'm talking right now is just kind of reaffirm it with within me that that I, that's a, that's a detriment to my service for the office that, that is being currently occupied by me right now. I gotta get in the way, get out of my own way. Revelation. Well, anything else about word councils? Because I think we need to wrap it up. What what a great opportunity, though. I think I would say to serve. I the one thing that's always motive. Not all word councils have ever been inspiring or motivating or anything like that. But I always have enjoyed word council for the people that I've been able to rub shoulders with in word council. There's a huge benefit and lifelong friendships that can come from that heavy service. And I learned that from a lot of people I've served with where, you know, you have a big lift to do, but you look at your presidencies that you have and say, but we're going to be, this is going to seal our friendship forever. The more we engage in that heavy lift together, the more effective our presidencies are, the more effective our ward councils are. It's really developing, I think, one of the beauties of the gospel and that's friendships that are etched by these revelatory experiences together. It'll last eternity, you know? So I've always been grateful for those that I've served with. For sure. And I try often to gush on them, you know, not post service, but during Mm-hmm. They're, you know, they're in the mire with you now. So express gratitude now. And so every time, you know, we've had, I've had a couple PP- PPIs with uh, past Relief Society president and the first couple that we had, you know, it was just me gushing on her and saying how much I just, her willingness to accept a call from the Lord to serve alongside her and just really was just being grateful for her and just wanted her to feel like a million dollars leaving that little PPI. And then we read some scriptures and I intentionally did not talk about a single thing organizationally. I did not bring up the Relief Society one time on purpose. 
and you know so we're 30 minutes in and it's time to time to go and just thanks and so we say a prayer or before we say the prayer it just asked you know is there anything else you know before we close with the prayer and she's like wait is that it and uh i think you know that can go a long ways to this concept of uh, we're grateful for people uh, accepting do we share that enough to where when you do that, there's a heightened level of loyalty that goes into their service with you, alongside you, and it also helps with the burnout factor and knowing where they stand. And sometimes we expect them to get that from God all the time, and that's just not the reality. We need to hear it from our peers and our fellow brothers and sisters. So when, when you're able to express that and say, you're doing an amazing job, and if you do that regularly, they'll if they're, even if they're not, they'll eventually rise to that occasion. You know, the cream rises to the top. Because you know they're, they're, they're just well, murdering their own selves yeah, with what they lack. Yeah, we're our own worst critics. <laughs> yeah, so yep. you don't need to go that direction for sure. And at the end of the day, just whatever they do give is enough. Whether you thought they met all your expectations or not. God's work, not yours. Right? Do you trust that? For sure. And and so yet you uh the word mission leader didn't you know, you can go through all the didn'ts. Just like how every critic does with Joseph Smith on what he didn't or did do that was never a part of God's expectations. He met all of God's expectations. We know that God has said that, you know, and yet people are still so critical. It's like, God doesn't need a perfect being to do his work. He just needs a willing heart and a little bit of desire goes a long ways. I was going to bring us back before, you know, I don't know how this whole thing wraps up or whatever, but the temple thing, Okay, so with this in mind, we started with the temple, and we talked bridges and the Savior and just the, what the world needs saints who attend the temple. When we brought it into the ward council and how that, the bridges of ward councils, the worthiness, the spirit that is needed, the openness, everything you find in a temple, exists, is all the true principles are the same principles you're seeking within a ward council to expose and have happen. It says here, this was some of my notes from last night. Um, endowment means gift from upon high. Imagine that we get to go to the Lord's house where he is waiting to give a personalized gift just for you. To bless you and lift you up. Receiving your temple endowment is an important sacred experience. Through the endowment, Heavenly Father offers you incredible gifts, which include greater knowledge of the Lord's purposes and teachings. So now think about this in a ward council, right? Power to do all that God wants you to do. Divine direction and protection as you serve the Lord, your family, and others. Increased hope, comfort, and peace. Promise blessings now and forever. Every woman and every man who is endowed in the house of the Lord receives 
a gift of God's priesthood power by virtue of their covenant, along with a gift of knowledge to know how to draw upon that power. Quoted by President Nelson. You know, do we talk about our covenants enough with the leadership of the church? You know, they, the covenants that they made and helping them understand after going through the temple again, seeing it again, 10, you know, a long time, so it's fresher than ever, and I'm more interested and engaged than ever, and I'm like, people need to, as I'm listening to the process, people need to hear that. Oh, man, forgot about that one. That, was, that one's a good one. That one's pretty powerful. I need that. And then, you know, it's like, man, am I a speaker of this kind of truth? Because this is what being a bishop is in my mind is speaking to what the prophets speak and what, what God speaks in his temples. The ultimate truth. And do I do enough of that? And it was a reminder that I need to share more of what the endowment is. And I think that would build better leaders and better ward councils if they trusted in the gifts that were given from God. Yeah, I would wholeheartedly agree with that. Like, how many people pay their tithing and just don't, but don't rely on the blessings of tithing? It's like, I paid my tithe, you know, oh, I'm struggling. I don't know where I'm going to get a job. And then it's like, oh, you're full type here. Yeah. Ah, oh, good. Just trust the process the Lord will provide. Keep working hard, doing what you're doing. You can rely on the Lord because he has promised you specific blessings from your obedience or your endowment or, you know, and I, cause I've often, you know, that's been the case for me. It's like, I'm, whenever I'm up against anything, I'm always like, cause Sarah pays the tithing. So I, I'll call her up and say, Hey, Hey babe, sweetheart, honey bunches of oats. Did you pay tithing? She's like, yes. I'm like, okay. I don't have to worry and stress anymore because I just have that much faith in the blessing of tithing in my life. I, and so speaking to what you're saying, how we can expand that faith to understand the promises of what we have really covenanted to do and then how the role of the sacrament allows us to be worthy of those promises and not allowing Satan to impede on the, the vastness of mercy that comes when we come to the, the ordinance of the sacrament with a broken heart and a contrite or, or a grateful heart for what the, the they've provided for us each and every Sunday. Let me add to what you guys are both saying. Um, so this, this, these two words, have been coming to mind the last couple of weeks is certain disciple or a certain disciple. Right. And so then I found this talk by Gordon B. Hinckley. He says, now, if I may be guided by the spirit, I should like to talk about another matter. There recently, there recently spoke in this city, a prominent journalist from the East. I did not hear him, but I read the newspaper reports on his remarks. He, he is quoted as having said, certitude is the enemy of religion, unquote. The words attributed to him have stirred within me much reflection. 
Certitude, which I define as complete and total assurance, is not the enemy of religion. It is the very essence. Certitude is certainty. It is conviction. It is power of faith that approaches knowledge. Yes, that even becomes knowledge. It evokes enthusiasm. There is no asset comparable to enthusiasm in overcoming opposition, prejudice, and indifference. Great buildings were never constructed on uncertain foundations. Great causes were never brought to success by uh, vacillating leaders. The gospel is never expounded to the convincing of others without certainty. Faith, which is of the very essence of personal conviction, has always been and always must be at the root of religious practice and endeavor. Think about how certain Joseph Smith had to have been of what he saw. I mean, (laughs) you could not have done what he did without being very certain. Oh, yeah. All that persecution. Or even the founding fathers, you know, how certain they had to have been of that this was the foundations that would create religious freedom in a free people, a prosperous people, because they put at the forefront all their wealth, all their, just everything they put on the line. There was their own very lives they put on the line for that cause. That's how certain they were of, of what they were doing. Mm-hmm. And when we, I love that. I think that's a great way to, to wrap up is importance of being certain that this is the Lord's work. We've been called to be a part of ward councils, or we will be, or we've been called by ward councils or by the keys in any of our callings. We can be certain that the Lord will do his work and it's his work, not our work. Hey, thanks Adam for joining us. I really enjoyed the conversation. It was super good. Thank you for joining us on the Principles of Podcast. Again, we are so grateful that Adam Stice could be on our show. And we're so grateful that you could listen and enjoy and hopefully take some principles that you can apply into your leadership and your ward at your level. Thank you so much. And please have a wonderful day.